Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another summer edition of The Deciding Point, our podcast where we break down the many pro results from the countless players with college ties competing on the pro tour. Of course, there are so many different results put up by these players each and every week that we have to start today's podcast with an apology. We are well aware it's downright impossible for us to shout out everyone, but it was accurately pointed out to us that we've missed some critical doubles results of late. So let the record show we will do a better job of ensuring we shout out not just the doubles success, but again, trying to find all of the successes throughout the many events on the calendar that happen every week on the pro tennis tour in the pro tennis world. Excuse me. With all of that said, Another jam-packed week of results provided by these players. And joining me on today's show to help break it all down is a man who joins me every week here in the summer on these shows. Of course, he joins me every week on The Deciding Point throughout the regular season as well, helping me co-host the ship. Of course, now you know him as the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, our beat reporter for all things in the college tennis world, and yes, most importantly, I didn't forget the returning champion of returning champions. It's John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Another week in the books. How are you feeling, my friend? I'm feeling good. I one note on missed results. I think the highest compliment we can pay someone as it relates to their pro results is not talking about them on this <laughs> show. Because it, more often than not, it's not that I didn't miss it. It's that I saw it and it just it registered as, yeah, that makes sense. And maybe, maybe not worth discussing. But of course, we do want to give coverage to everyone uh, where it is due. And so we will do our best to continue to do that. But, you know, the glass half full of, hey, we didn't talk about you is because we expect that of you and your players. So uh, that is what I will say on that. Yeah, I would add to that that you look at the rankings right now in terms of college tennis players, excuse me, pro tennis players with college tennis ties in doubles. If we talked about every result from a player with college ties in the doubles rankings every week, this show would be six hours because there are that many, whether it's in the top 100, whether it's, again, at the challenger level as well. Look, I mean, Jackson Withrow and Nate Lamons have been killing it of late. We probably should do three minutes on their run of success over the past six months. And hopefully someone will point this to my guy, Jackson, whom I will acknowledge you listeners. I, I can text him from time to time and give him personal congratulations, but he deserves them publicly as well. He and Nate are making quarterfinals every week. So you're right. They've moved beyond the shout out stage and... Yeah, there are some doubles results that you're like, eh, I don't know if this moves the needle. Like, this is what I would expect from this team. This is what I expect from college t- players in the pro tennis world in doubles. That's why, again, when Austin Krejcik wins the French Open, of course we talk about it to lead the show. 
you know, again, win some tight. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to be judgmental. I already apologize. I'm not retracting it. I stand by it. Nevertheless, again, it's another jam-packed week of results. Double digits on the men's and women's side when you look between tour-level challengers, ITFs. A lot of notable results. We'll get to them in a moment. Let's start with the news first. No movement in what is the biggest opening remaining on the job market, the University of Michigan men's tennis opening. So nothing to lead this show with there. There are new rules. There are still recruiting things, coaching things to touch on. And so I turn to you, my beat reporter, John J. Parsons. Give me the news. Westoff, give me a news sound effect. Jay, what's happened in the college tennis world? Well, look, the Michigan job might be the one you have your eyes on, but we did just close out on the Nebraska women's head coaching search. And this kind of concludes the nine power five women's head coaches jobs that were open in this cycle. One of the busiest cycles we've had in the last few years, a German Delmagro got the job at Nebraska. He was most recently with Arkansas State, where he did a one-half stint. He was just there this past spring. Before then, he was at Illinois. He was also at Nebraska uh, during some of their more formative runs, particularly in 2013, uh, their Meriwether Holt years there. So he gets the job there. What was interesting to me about closing out on these women's jobs is, as I mentioned, there were nine Six went to men and three went to women. I think that sort of bucks a trend that we've seen, particularly in women's tennis, with more head coaching jobs going to women over the years. So that certainly stuck out to me, particularly because they had brought in uh, their associate head coach, Lisa Hart, there uh, over from Washington State. So that was the big coaching news on the women's side. In terms of the rules changes, uh, not a huge, um, not that very, not interesting rules, I would say. There was a point of emphasis that the ITA is making on sportsmanship uh, with a to-come document around how they plan on penalizing sportsmanship violations. So we'll expect that. Um, medical timeouts now are just going to be a flat five minutes. So no assessment period versus treatment period. So trainer comes out, you have five minutes. No ad scoring is now going to be official for D3. They had been doing some trial there as well. And they have added language to clarify that tobacco products are not allowed for student athletes nor team personnel. There will be some coaches and teams that are uh, impacted by this rule up and down the country. The one thing I'm looking for in terms of like true beat uh, is, so don't scoop this, <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> is typically the uh, NCAA Division I Tennis Committee meets in June to do their annual meeting. And they have already done that. But what I am waiting for is the notes from that meeting. I am told those should be coming out this week. What I am particularly interested to read from that is their assessment of how the NCAA championships in Orlando went. Uh, so we should be getting that this week. I hope to cover that once those uh, meeting notes come out. Yeah, I agree. Like, again, I read through the rules. It didn't feel – it's always interesting what quantifies as negative sportsmanship. You say, oh, it'll be obvious when you see it. 
it's not always obvious. A roar in the direction of the fans can often look like a roar in the direction of an opponent. And sometimes a roar in the direction of fans is meant to look that way because it's actually a roar at the opponent. How do you differentiate between the two? Which players will get the benefit of the doubt? I trust the discretion of the chairs who have had that discretion anyways. I, I like... Again, how are what are the tangible changes? That's what I'll be interested in seeing. Yeah, I kind of rolled my eyes when I saw this because I don't know that this is like the biggest problem to solve right now mm -hmm. in college tennis. I mean, certainly not at the elite level of D1 college tennis. Like, are we having like huge sportsmanship issues that need to be addressed with like also, additional we, point yeah, penalties? Don't we like how it is right now? Don't we like that energy? Don't we like that edge? Isn't that what makes us special? Yeah, I get really um, skittish when I when when I see this because I'm like, I don't think we need more of this. Yeah. Um, it's like I I would like chairums to have less power on like governing what they can and can't do from a crowd perspective. Like, yeah, if anything, the chair umpires and the referees at NCAA's were like overly litigious. Uh, so we need less of that. Look, I'm pro democracy. I don't think that needs to be made clear. If we want to do a one-rule dictatorship and it all comes down to what does Anthony think, that works for me. I trust Anthony's judgment. Um, yeah, it, it's just, again, you're right. It just It's discretionary. It's impossible to quantify what the rule change looks like until you see what, how the discretion by the umpire is carried out. And again, I'm really not concerned about this rule change impacting anything moving forward. Um, yeah, I mean, darn, no more dipping. I'm crushed. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, there's some assistant coaching positions that have been filled that we certainly missed as well. And, you know, again, we'll do a full list at the end. Nine coaching positions in the Power Five on the women's side. That's a carousel. Like, that is a significant number. That's a data point we're going to remember. And I, I keep saying this in private conversations. I'll say it here publicly. I, I might have before. There's really only a few dominoes left to fall in the coaching rings because barring a coach getting fired, albeit for misconduct, which honestly is more likely than a coach getting fired per for performance because respectfully, that just doesn't happen. That Way more tennis. likely. Yeah. Way more likely. Okay, thank you. I agree for accentuating it. What dominoes are left? Like who's leaving a big job anytime soon? There's really just a few. I love you. I'm not saying he's leaving anytime soon, but maybe Roland will leave Florida sometime soon on the women's side similarly on the men's side billy manny like i know manny just uh manny just whatchamacallit it just re extended his contract deservedly so and we have him through 26 that ncaa's at georgia which who knows if that'll be his last or not but you know that job eventually will open up and I know Jamie is as qualified. Jamie Hunt, the current associate head coach, is anyone out there, but it's Georgia, so everyone's going to make a move for it. The other one's Billy at UCLA, obviously, just given his age, how long he's been there, the fact they're moving to the Big Ten. You know, Those are really the two dominoes left in terms of the big jobs on the women's side. You know, Again, I mentioned it, Roland, maybe Stella at UCLA. Maybe Stella's not that old. Um you know, Lele at Stanford, but Stanford, I just defer to you there. Um, I mean, if Roland leaves, Stella should take that job so she can be with her family in Florida. Factually accurate. I mean, like, but here's the point. There's just not that many dominoes left. Like, 
all a lot of the big jobs have been taken. And again, coaches performance is often not the thing that gets you fired in college tennis coaching, which is just worth noting. It's like, hey, like this Michigan men's job, maybe a couple more. I, I feel like, the, again, full circle, the nine musical chair movement. Like This was the big summer, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, you, you love this conversation, I will yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> like, you love it. Uh, I mean, dominoes can always fall. I mean, you don't know people's personal situations. Sure. You don't know family situations. You don't know when they'll step in it. So there are always things that are happening, and it really only takes one domino to fall, right? Yes, like we saw, sure. You know, so it, jobs will open up. And look, college tennis right now is in a really precarious position relative to the college athletics landscape. So there's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of shuffling. We know USC and UCLA. They're going to the Big Ten. Like, there's just going to be a lot of movement. Are we going to see nine next summer on the women's side? Probably not. But I, it's not like we're locked in on these jobs for decades. No, this is it. This is all we're ever going to have. But this is you the 20 like years we're locked. It seem like that. You like to make it seem like no, if but for Stella leaving, everyone else, you're locked in. Okay, but can I make my? <laughs> I know we've had a pandemic during this time but you know what this comes down to i'm in los angeles this week i'm calling matches i was calling the match of zainab last name forgotten by my brain apologies it's been a long day um and she was born i remember her birthday i don't remember her last name she was born april 30th 2002 that's five days after my younger brother here's why i bring that up the 2018 ncaa's being in Winston-Salem, being at Wake Forest, that feels like a lifetime ago. And like a five-year run is a real run in college sports. That's a graduating class. I'm just saying, I think we know the pieces for the next graduating class. It's like, these are who's going to shape the storylines we see unfold. Not to get meta. That's how you know it's been a long day. Um, any final thoughts on news? I, I got one more for you, but I give you a chance to retort. The last thing I would say is that like the the arc of history is long and yeah, sure. y- your your view span is a little condensed. Like your like <laughs> birth into the, um, No, it, it starts in 2018. Like right that was such a pivotal year yeah. for you. 2018 does not feel that long ago. Yeah, 13. And 13 No, but 2018 year. was Virginia, when you started uh, Yeah, but well, Virginia won and that's when I was like in in forever. This is the run. Now I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I mean, yeah, we know who's going to be coaching for the next few years. But, like, yeah. after that, you know, right. tough Fair. to tell. Fair enough. I think I bet more coaches would lean with your argument than mine because you're right. It's one domino, then he jumps, then she jumps, then everyone jumps. And I'm sure I'm overlooking some sort of storyline that we're missing. And the other storyline, of course, that comes from a result this week and is a massive one. After what was a really fun 2023 year for the Georgia men, you know, obviously 2022, they lose in the round of 32 to Florida State at home. That same group, pretty much the entire roster back, plus Ethan Quinn, plus Yuska. They ultimately make the quarterfinals this year. They win the SEC regular season title. You know, they were already losing a ton. In Henning, in Bride, in Kreuter, in Yuska, in – I'm blanking on you in doubles. I'm so sorry. You Britain. played with Blake Kreuter, Britton, Britton Johnston, thank you, um, who I almost called Britton Steele, who was in the tournament I played in July and is from Southeast Michigan. This is why I was needed some assistance here. Anyways, they were losing all those pieces anyways. 
Then, of course, Quinn wins the NCAA singles title. He elects to turn pro. Can completely understand that decision. Tough loss for him today in a fun match with Alex Vukic, who, by the way, has consolidated his top 100 spot. And I went on, okay, tangent number two. I told you I was loose today, Jay. And you talk about my fondness for a particular era. Honestly, I'm I'm walking right into your argument. So, shout out Jeff Chisiver. Played at Cal. Played at for the Colorado men. Now calls matches for Tennis Channel. Producer behind the scenes as well. He was calling the Ethan Quinn match. He calls me, asks me for the play-by, you know, my thoughts on him. He then asks me if I know anything about Vukic, and I go, dude, those 2015 to 2017-18 Jared Hiltzik teams, I mean, it was really 13 to 16 was Hiltzik, but that era, I was like, that's my favorite Illinois era, and I just nerd out about Illinois stuff. I compared them to the mid-2010s Indiana Pacers in terms of like, look, they were conference finalists. Like, were they going to get to the big dance? No, but that was a really good team in 18. Vukic at one, best Alex Brown at two, Hiltzik at three, Zeke at four, Kova at five. Like, that's a real team. Um, That Wake Forest knocked out in the quarterfinals in 2018. Anyways, all that is to say, there's my tangent on the Illinois men. Shout out to that group. That was a good group, Jay. No thoughts on them? I thought you were going to jump on me there. Did you just want me to get through the tangent? Well, wasn't Vukic at five in 2015? So yeah. So you talk about like, Co- and that was at the Baylor year. That was when that was pre-Kova. Um, that was a really, that was the team that, again, Hiltzik, Gosia, Kapinski, yeah. Gione, yeah. young that Aaron Hiltzik as a freshman. That team was so, Alex I mean, that 15 team. Richard was at five as well. Yeah, they played some matches against Illinois. There's the match against UNC where Braden Schnur was ready to murder the entire Champaign student. Like, that's the peak of the Atkins Army or whatever they I call mean, it. I mean, UNC, itself. Illinois, we talk about, like, Florida, Tennessee or some of the yeah. best rivalry, uh, undercard rivalries that exist right now. Not Florida, Tennessee, but, like, that UNC, Illinois that was rivalry, those years, that was very intense. So you were at the NCAAs where UNC beats Illinois without Robert Kelly in the round of 16. That's, like... If you know, you know. And that was a match where, like, yo, I'm sure Anthony Montero, who I alluded to earlier, head referee, the guy you see in every video, I feel like he was like, get security. Like, they might swing. Because, um, man, Ferris it didn't take shit yeah. from no one. Yeah, I mean, that was also the um, Oklahoma TCU. Oh, uh, Alvarez versus <laughs> yeah, uh, Chapel. At, oh. at, at Baylor that year. Yeah, that, one, that whole tournament. Oh, and I mean, I don't want to make light of it. There was some off-court drama. There's a a massive event in the community like that 2015 NCAAs documentary because that starts the Virginia three-peat as well. And like, didn't UNC lose round of 16 to Virginia that year? The women's side? Am I crazy? No. Is that the Albaba Collins team? No, they beat them in Tulsa. That's in 2016 also, for Virginia women to make, yeah, for Virginia to make the quarterfinal. Yeah. That's what it was. Um, still, that yeah. that's an interesting. That was yeah. the Astra Sharma freshman season. Oh. She broke onto the scene. That Baylor Andy. team losing in the semis to Virginia. That match, like Ryan Shane and whatever possessed him after he rolls his ankle against Winston Lynn in the round of 16. Yeah. Do you want the oral history? I got the first chapter for you, Jay. We could do it audibly right here. Um, no, all of that was a long way of saying, okay, I know where that tangent started. Rest assured listeners, Ethan Quinn's not going back to Georgia. And so 
They lose five of six starters. Obviously, Miguel Perez-Pena, who had a really good sophomore season, is back. Felipe Costa, the redshirt freshman, comes back. Thomas Pulsell will be a, a junior. He comes back. But the biggest news story that bleeds into our first men's result is they were hoping not only to have Ethan Quinn back this season, they were hoping the man joining him was the guy who won the Chicago Challenger two weeks ago and now reaches his first tour-level final of his career at 18 years old. Alex Mickelson's the real deal. And we litigated the will-he-won't-he-turn-pro last week, so we don't have to have that conversation again, Jay. But look, winning a challenger title is one thing. You now win in, uh, make an ATP tour-level final. He's top 150 in the world. As Mike Cation pointed out on Twitter, he is very far ahead in the U.S. Open Wild Card Challenge. And Not it, so fast. Those results don't count because they were on grass. Oh, John J. Parsons, the beat reporter, read the bylaws. So that said, Jay, <laughs> I'm not going to give you his first round check. All right, tangent number two. Proof I still have game because I've been playing a lot of tennis myself. My former doubles partner, uh, doubles partner, my former kid who was two years younger than me on the high school team, we were talking some trash. Booze might have been involved on his side. And he goes, dude, $10,000 right now. We'll play tomorrow. I'll beat you in straight sets. I was like, dude, I guarantee you that's not going to happen. I'm not betting $10,000, but I guarantee you that's not going to happen. We played. Guess who won the first set? Ya boy. Um, and, again, we didn't finish the match because we split sets, and we were like, hey, I'm happy if you're happy. This was a this was a we're not invading Cuba sort of moment, our own missile crisis. Um, anyways, tangent number two, complete. Um the question just is, you know, for you know, if for Mickelson now, I would, I, I was gonna say, I'll give you fifty thousand dollars if he doesn't get a U.S. Open main draw wild card, because I just would be shocked after not making an ATP, after making an ATP final, if he doesn't get one. It's unlikely, we'll say, if you were doing a broad a forecast, it's unlikely that Alex Mickelson ends up at Georgia, and so the storyline to me is like. I know they just signed, and I'm blanking on his name. I know he was a top 150 junior in the world. I have the tweet pulled up. It is a shout-out to the latest commit for Georgia, Niels Rachio. I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation, but, again, recent signee for Georgia. But, like, okay, that's three players. Ryan Colby is four. Best-case scenario, if Mickelson does come, that's five like, we got to fill the roster. I know they have uh, the freshman. I'm blanking on his name. He's very good as well. Ignacio Buse. Yeah, Buse. I don't know how healthy he is right now. Again, we just haven't seen much of him. But, like, okay, you have six guys. Best case scenario. Uh, it's a story. Like, it is. It's, it's something to watch now because uh, Jamie's got time. He can pull it off, as can Manny. But it's like they have to now pull something off. Yeah, well, and I think the big thing here for Georgia is, is all eyes are on the 2026 NCAAs, right? Yeah. I would venture to guess that this is intended to be the final year of Manny's run here at Georgia. They are hosting the NCAAs for the first time since 2017. This will They want to win that year in particular. And Ethan Quinn, Alex Mickelson were intended to be a factor in that equation. That would have been Ethan Quinn's senior year, Mickelson's junior year. Now, with those two players out of the equation, assumedly, they're a year behind, right? Because everyone who just played their freshman year, they will be seniors in 2026. And so Georgia will miss that. And so they're a year behind. 
moving into three years left, right, to build a program that can win the NCAAs in 2026. So they're a step behind the eight ball. Now, I think Jamie Hunt is one of the best recruiters we have in the game. Just look at who he has been able to sign uh, with Ath- in Athens. So we'll have to see, but it could be a really uh, a rebuilding year in Athens for sure. Uh, but the thing I'll say about Michelson, Mickelson, And what Georgia does really well is that they treat their players, they treat their fans, they treat their program like a professional program. They provide these opportunities to these players. You look at all of the interviews that Ethan Quinn is able to do. They treat these players like professionals. They cover their their, uh, results on the pro tour like professionals. They have, you know, cheered on Alex Mickelson at every step along the way, so much so that it has bled into pro tennis zeitgeist that Alex Mickelson, UGA, even though the guys probably stepped foot on campus max one, maybe two times, I think you're going to start to see a lot more programs start to claim the guys who commit to their program well before they actually step foot on campus in ways that we haven't seen before because moving forward, the air cover that Georgia gets now from, oh, Mickelson was signed with Georgia, just that PR alone is good press. Did we ever hear about the fact that Milos Raonic was committed to University of Virginia? Maybe only on this podcast, but that's <laughs> the sort of stuff that doesn't break into the ethos in the same way that they've ridden this Mickelson wave as long as it will, uh, as long as it will crash. Which is fascinating because they didn't do it with Tommy. And, like, maybe that's just them getting better because Tommy Paul yeah. was recruited. And I would echo everything you said. That's a, I couldn't agree with you more. Georgia, it's a – you know, again, Stephen A. Smith texted me. They were, new, you know, noodling around segments for Get Up, and the text was the hot take, is Jamie Hunt too good at recruiting? Because Ethan's gone after a year. Mickelson's not showing up. Is he too good? That's what people are asking. Um, it's a first cl- – it's the job. It's the program. It just That's one of my things I've learned this summer through the carousel and all my conversations. Like, well, if you could have any job, what's the job? And it's Georgia. It's always Georgia. They got SEC money. They have the best football program. They put in the resources to be the best, and that's why they have the track record that they do. You're right. I agree. They're going to figure it out, but it's a testament to you got to let your best players cook, and Mickelson has cooked. There is no doubt about it. He's been exceptional. Now, you bring up the ties, and again, you and I have no problem. If you were committed, uh, I'm going to steal you as one of college tennises. If I can find any excuse to associate you with the sport, I try to do it. Um, that said, you know, again, you look at the ATP tour-level results we had this week. Obviously, Mickelson, who's a finalist, Isner, semifinalist. Sure thing, college things as quarterfinalists. You had Kevin Anderson. Good to see him back after a long layoff from injuries. The former Illini All-American, Mackie McDonald, former NCAA singles, doubles champ with UCLA. He made the quarters. You look in places, though, like Bostad. Are we counting Francisco Sarundolo, who played in dual matches but left after kickoff weekend? Are we counting Jensen Brooksby, who would have played other than the fact that his year at Baylor was the COVID year. And by the time he was done, he was gone and ready to go pro. What's your stance on the issue, Jay? Because we're, dare I say, two of the definitive scholars. You're on the list now. It's a very controversial topic. It's controversial. <laughs> this is summer, baby. I will, uh, for, there. you cannot dis. Sorrentolo is on the list. On the ma- list. Like, right? Because then you say, okay, well, should we only count 
people who played one semester, one year, they have to play all four years. Like he's on the list. Like he played dual matches, right? Mm-hmm. Brooksby is where the line gets interesting, right? And like mm-hmm. I tend to include him because he was rostered at the program, would have played right that season. Took classes. What took classes was living there. That he's the inflection point, though. Absolutely not. You know, Tommy Paul committed to Georgia, Mickelson, like, no. It was nice that they were committed. We would have loved to have them in college, but you don't count them. Here's what I mean, though, by that. I'm fine for Georgia tweeting about Mickelson. I'm fine if Georgia wants to tweet about Tommy. Like, if you're committed but to have too good of results ultimately to go, like, do you get to claim dominion over them on social media? This is for any social media manager out there listening. I'm pro it. I'm I'm all for accentuating those uh, connections. And by the way, some people are asking, Jay, has, you know, Mickelson's committed to Georgia replaced, you know, Diana Schneider's headed to NC State as the number one phrase in tennis broadcaster circles of proving your college tennis bona fides it certainly does i mean i understand why you tweet about them post about them on social media like all the way until they've officially said no i'm not (laughs) stepping foot on campus because there is some level of like peer pressure that you can impart upon them to like maybe they will come at that point I would find it a little odd if Georgia continues to tweet about Mickelson's pro results when the guy has been on campus once. Like, I I think that that would be weird. What if he writes a check for the football program? Then they can name a a court after him. Tweet about his results. (laughs) That's fair. Also, he'd probably give it to the tennis program, not the, uh, not the uh, football program. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, Sarandolo played dual matches. He counts. And by the way, just very, very casually, Francisco Sarandolo making a serious push to be the highest-ranked college tennis player in the world right now. Cam Norrie still holds it at number 13, but Sarandolo's 21 and closing. And so, again, it went from Isner's head, who was a semifinalist in Newport, but I doubt he's ever going to wear that crown again. Cam Norrie kind of took that, or Anderson and him jostled for it. Norrie kind of took it from there. Now it gets interesting because, again, you've got Sarundalo. You've got guys like Eubanks, Shelton, you know, Mackie, JJ, all the Yannick Hanfman, all these guys hovering that one bad week here or a bad spell there, and all of a sudden maybe it starts getting handed around. And so it's a fun place to be. Again, other tour-level results. We take this for granted because he is now inside the top uh, 55 of the live rankings, but it was the first time in his career, 31 years old, First time in his career at the tour level, Yannick Hanfman was seeded, and the first time in his career, he only had to win one match to reach a tour level quarterfinal. I'm just saying, life gets easier as a pro if you only have to win once to be in the quarterfinals. And like, we've tried our best, as Jay said, we're not going to mention everything. We're not going to mention Jackson Withrow and Nate Lammons winning Newport because we hate Jackson. We love Nate. We hate Jackson. We're not going to mention Blumberg making a third straight final and winning the title two years before. We're not mentioning that, Jay, okay? We're not. I would like to mention Will Blumberg. <laughs> uh, okay. You know what? We always, uh, we're, First of all, I'm mentioning them. I hope people sense the sarcasm. We all ta- We will talk about all of that. But again, like, 
we're, we're trying to focus on the big breakthroughs. I do think reaching your first quarterfinal, winning one match at age 31 constitutes as a big breakthrough. Like, that's why he gets the mention here this week. But final two or level results on the men's side. Again, the floor is yours, Jay. Well, we should acknowledge that both Ethan Quinn and Elliot Spazieri made their ATP debuts in Newport. Ethan Quinn gets his first round win, so his first ATP match win uh, there in Newport. Um, exciting for them. I do want to talk about Will Blumberg for a minute because you have said I'm now the beat reporter for college tennis, but you are the beat reporter on Will Blumberg. <laughs> and okay. in November of 2021, he told you that he was not giving up on singles after three pro events that that would be silly says he's feeling good with his singles game and plans on playing in 2022. Do you know how many singles events will Blumberg has played since that comment in November of 2021? Say two futures and a challenger. Five events total. Okay. My question to you is a, was he lying to you <laughs> or B have things changed? It's a great question. I owe you more reporting on that subject because I mean yeah will show like will is that good at doubles and I mean to make three straight Newport finals I know he was playing with Casper Rude they made the second round of the Wimbledon doubles Rude then pulls out from there Blumberg right now sitting at 88 in the live doubles rankings by the way I'm looking at them and it's like Skupski Krejcik Salisbury Rom Zelinsky <laughs> by the way Jan Zelinsky being the highest ranked player from that 2014 to 20 Georgia era like brain blast um again that's my era i would have been like probably wayne or austin austin smith would just win like i don't know how he did it but he had his moments um ben wagland he could play um garrett brousseau uh, brousseau giving me a heart attack in that illinois match uh, i think he beats mac on that windy day in 13 anyways yeah a lot of college guys up there um yeah, i will ask you know i bet will would come on the show i bet he'd come on your show jay and so maybe you don't want to hear me talk to him. Maybe you want to talk to him. But by the way, again, Blum in the finals, Lamins, Withrow, winners of the Newport doubles. Uh, you look at the doubles results in Bostad. Let's see. Do we have anything significant from a uh, doubles perspective? I don't see anything particularly notable. Some quarterfinalists. But again, that happens every week. Uh, yeah, it, it was a good week at the pro level. I guess let's move over now to the women's side of things, uh, just at the tour level. It would be a quick mention here, but Emma Navarro made another quarterfinal. Like, it's just casual now. Like, that one didn't even feel particularly impressive. I know she loses to Chin Wen in the quarters, but she's just a top 60 player in the world. And uh, Shelton's rise was more meteoric. Emma's is more impressive. I know that's a random take, but, like, Emma went. 60Ks, 100Ks, 125s, slam qualifying. You know, now I'm into quarterfinals of the tour level draw. And again, shout out to Ben, who won those challengers, who has this catapult of a result in making the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. I'm not taking anything away from Ben. I'm just saying Emma deserves the star treatment as well because she's been awesome, Jay. Yeah, up to a career high this week of 53 in the rankings, right? One could say week in, week out, she's been the better pro compared to Shelton. So she both and Peyton have both had fantastic results this year. Yeah, it's been really fun. But again, outside of that, I don't know that I saw anything particularly notable, Jay, at the tour level for the women. Let's do move over, though, to the ITFs because there are a lot of interesting events on the board. And we'll start on the women's side here. Obviously, the 
big one for both men and women, the Challenger and Granby, the 100K for the women in Granby. Saw so many different college players in each draw. Let's just do a little Granby segment here. Start on the women's side, Jay. Who stood out the most to you? Well, how about the Corley sisters from Oklahoma, Ivana and Carbon, making the final of the 100K there? It was an impressive doubles result for them who I know have decided to begin their pro career, Carmen not using her fifth year at Oklahoma. So uh, impressive debut in their first pro summer. Yeah, no, I mean, players like Annabelle Shue, uh, obviously, who we haven't seen play a ton of pros. She gets a win at this level. Jennifer Brady, the uh, former slam finalist, you know, top 15 player in the world. Uh, She makes her return after being out with injury for the majority of the past two seasons. She wins her first round match before getting knocked out in round number two. We've talked about her a lot. Amina Bechtis is just simply playing the best tennis of her career. Another deep run for Bechtis this past week. She is currently sitting at a career high 128 in the live rankings. This is the moment you can taste a top 100, perhaps push for Bechtis now. This is a random note. Last thing. Ava Markham's really good. And, like, she won, She wins a match here. You know, I feel like we do a lot of Wisconsin love here. And it's because Kelsey McKenna has charmed me. Like, I've lost that battle of not being biased towards her. Um, but, man, Ava Markham is just really f***ing good. And she wins around this year, uh, week. She qualifies into the event. She deserved a shout-out, Jay. Yeah, I mean, the win over Katrina Scott was a fantastic win. Uh, that was the, her first round there in Granby. Uh, disappointing result for her today in the Dallas qualifying. But yeah, she has played week in, week out on a lot of these events so far as she is um, beginning her pro career after five years at Wisconsin. Yeah. All right. Well, outside of that 100K in Granby, well, actually, we'll get to the rest of the women's on, in a moment. Let's move over to the men's challenger because... I think I told – I don't know if I told you this privately or if I said it on the freaking pod. I know I said it on a mini-break pod. You might not have been there. But I was in person in Bloomfield Hills watching my fellow AG, former NC State All-American Alexi Galarno, play. And it's not that he wasn't good in college because he was really – he was in that maybe most underrated player in college during his time, like in that year, conversation because he just racked up wins, could match up against anyone. He's stronger, he's quicker, his forehand is an absolute weapon. He wins his first challenger this weekend, Granby. He's also getting a main draw wild card into the uh, the Masters event. I forget if they're in Toronto or Montreal, but into the men's Montreal, singles. Yeah, the men. main draw in Montreal. Up to new career high, 162. Has just now, he's been making constant quarterfinals at the challenger level. And you do that enough, you start to get your shots in slam qualifying, get your shot at a tour level main draw event. He's not the biggest guy, but I don't know what the weakness is, Jay. Like, this is a massive result, and I think he does have top 100 game because I know he doesn't have, the, he's not the biggest guy, but there's no deficiency. Like, it's, it's Arthur Ferry esque. Like, that's my comp, is better Arthur Ferry. Uh, I feel like that's sizest, but uh, <laughs> I think from, from, from a game style wise, I don't see that comp at all. Okay. But um, I mean, how, what a special moment for Galarnu to do this in Canada when his first ACP challenger, I, I mean, he'd only won a 15 K prior yeah. to this. So he, it wasn't even at the like 25 K level or anything. Uh, so really special moment for him. I think you're right. Game week out, he has been there. He's been putting in the hard yards, traveling across the globe to do it, and always special to do that at your home event. His forehand is an absolute missile. 
Uh, it really is. And again, top 100s in the cards for Lexi. Uh, he's going to have a serious opportunity in Canada. The other storyline coming out of Granby, and one of the storylines of the week, so I'm just going to impose it here across events. Listen to this week for the Ohio State Buckeyes. James Trotter, challenger semifinal in Granby, obviously coming off of an undefeated season in dual match play to reach a semifinals as a qualifier at this event. He's just rocking and rolling into his pro career. Justin Boulay, who has a year remaining, can come back to the Buckeyes and very likely will. He reaches his first challenger level quarterfinal as a wild card into the main draw of this event. Of course, you also in Rochester have Cannon Kingsley into another final, not Rochester, Champagne, Champagne. excuse me, into the uh, final of another Futures event. You look at the quarterfinals of that event, Alex Bernard, the rising sophomore, reaches quarterfinals there. I'm sure Anthrop did something special in doubles that I'm not remembering. I think he made the final with Kingsley, actually, in Champagne. Mm -hmm. Uh, he did, and he yeah. lost to Boss of Aredi, I think, tough okay. first round against Nishesh there yeah. in Champagne. Here's the point. Bryce Nakashima won a couple of doubles titles at the USTA SoCal event. Tracy won a singles title this summer as well. OH, the Buckeyes are – we talked about it last week. It's a definitive top three right now. Virginia, Texas, Ohio State. It's a good week for the Buckeyes, Jay. Thoughts? Yeah, I was more looking back in hindsight rather than looking ahead because we've already established that this is a top three team going into 2024. But just with that lineup, I mean, how do you not win the NCAA title? And at what point will the lineup machinations stop, right? Why is James Trotter playing at four undefeated going on to make a challenger semifinal? Like if he's at three, Right. Does that change the calculus against Virginia? Maybe. Um, so they've had a lot of success. And it also shows that what they are unable to do during the college tennis season when they look, you know, impenetrable indoors and then really struggle outdoors. It, that's not the case when these guys go onto the pro tour. I mean, Trotter, Boulay, Kingsley, they're all having success at these outdoor events. So there's something in that Ohio State recipe that's not working right now. And if they do want to be the 2024 champion with all these guys, like something has to change. You're not wrong. Here's the other thing, though. This team coming back, ha this is the experience. This is the group. This is the team. You've played in a final and lost it. You, you know, but it's not. They lose Trotter, and that's a massive, you yeah, know, but, piece but, that they but lose. Five of the guys are back. Like it's the same core five. It's Kingsley, Boulay, Tracy, Anthrop, Bernard. Like. And whomever, and you know, Cash indoors lost no matches this year. He lost one dual match overall on the season. And like you have him, you have reigning NCAA doubles champion Andrew Luchanik, who like throw Nakashima into the Trotter spot. And you know, a guy with two futures doubles titles meets NCAA doubles champion. Maybe something works there, and you keep the continuity elsewhere. It's like I I see your point. I see your point. I don't deny it. But this team has done everything but win. And the thing that this team has that other teams who have followed similar scripts don't is they got one more go at it. And that's why 2024 is such a fascinating season for Ohio State. I, I agree with you because all the pieces are there. All the talent is there. The only thing that's not there is, is a team title trophy for this group. And whether it's the indoors, whether it's NCAAs, you know, again, this group can pull that off 
in 2024. So that's why they are one of the teams to watch. And yeah, they dominated that Granby storyline. I mean, again, so impressive. Quarterfinals for Boulay, semifinals for Trotter. Yeah, incredibly impressive off of them. One other player who I thought eked into this Granby storyline was Michaelis Lebedis of Tennessee back in the 2010, 11, 12, 13 era. A back-to-back challenger doubles titles for him. He was former number one in singles and doubles at Tennessee. And he's been pretty much out ever since he tore his ACL in the Charlottesville Challenger in 2017. Came back in August of 2022. So for him to be back after five years winning back-to-back challenger titles, really awesome to see him back on tour. Yeah, no, that's well said. And, you know, again, I think other challenger events where there were some college guys, Daniel Kukerman qualifier uh, this week, this past week in uh, Pazablanco, I believe. And, you know, he ultimately makes a quarterfinal result there. Henry Squire, former Wake Forest Demon Deacon, he made a semifinal this past week at the challenger level. You know, again, those are the big ones. Those are, I would say, the most significant college results at the Challengers. Now, again, ITFs, there are so many throughout the course of the week. Jay tweets out a lot of the winners, graphics on Twitter, on Instagram. So if you're not already, follow at Jay Tweets Tennis. Is that the Instagram handle as well? It's not. No, I had no problem on Instagram. I like that. What about threads? Are we threads bound? I'm on threads at no ad, no problem. Okay. I like that. I am not on threads because one social media, even whatever it is named at this point. As of, let me just say, look, I'm pro, I, pro-democracy was this podcast, right? This yeah, was, right? was, again, yes, my brain yes. is scrambled. Um, pro <laughs> Listeners, we're leaving it in. Um, I'm pro-democracy. I would not describe myself as pro-Elon Musk. Um, that said, I am pro the letter X as an Alex and X's don't get a lot of run in life. We have X men and that's really it. I'm not anti X is all I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm pro X Jay. I have not enough love for the X's out there. X gets a lot of run in this world, Alex, but um, maybe I as mean, a man Elon... with no X's because married to the game. That's why I, I have a yeah. positive connotation. Sure. Uh, I mean, Elon likes next Tesla X SpaceX. He owned X.com. Yeah, so. that is our only similarity. Let me just say, that is where the similarities stop. Um, anyways, ITF headlines. Run me through, Jay. Floor is yours. Well, one player we haven't talked about who deserves a shout-out here is Yassine Delimi of UCF. He was the AAC Freshman of the Year, played number three for UCF. He's reached now four 15K finals. He's won a 15K this summer. Uh, he fell in the 15K final over there in Tunisia. Uh, Chris Rodash, we've talked about a few times. He makes his second straight 25K final. He continues to grind it out over in Europe. Um, and then I have some double results to run through. So we'll start with Garrett Johns and Pedro Rodinas of Duke. They win the 25K title in Gandia, Spain. This is Garrett Johns' third title of the summer and Rodinas' first. I'd say Duke, top 10 okay. yeah, preseason. Uh, now they lose TJ Pierre on the coaching side. So this will be a big test for the Duke coaching team, but they return everyone. So they're going to be really Duke good. Tidbit? Teams yes. on campus training together right now. I love that. That's that's up the Alex Gruskin Avenue. If you want to build a winner, start training together right now. And they're all traveling, of course, still playing in the summer. But they're like, hey, we have a shot. Let's not f*** this up. And yeah. 
I'm in. Think, I'm all in on that. Realize how good they can be. And I'm sure Johns and Rodinas are training equally as hard over in Spain. Uh, Jomo and HUD, another uh, duo from the same school, Tennessee. They win the 25K doubles title in Roehampton yeah. this week. And um, and Jomo also made the single semifinals. And then the last one here, which this one, again, is a testament to just how strong college doubles is. Trey Hildebrand and Noah Schachter yes. of Texas A&M. They have won six titles together. This is their second 25K title of the year. No shade to Hildebrand and Schachter. They were not an elite doubles duo in college tennis. They were 13 and nine in the dual season in 2023. You you talked about it on this show, just how many college, uh, former college doubles players are in the pro ranks. It's because of how strong doubles is and how much doubles these people play. So, I mean, for them to win their six doubles title together, second of the year, extremely impressive and a good testament to the strength of college doubles. Yeah, Schachter quarterfinalist in singles as well. I'll rapid fire through my men's and then we'll go to the women's in the week ahead. Shout out to a couple of names I haven't seen in a while. Henrik Wiersholm, wild card quarterfinalist in Rochester. Katanza Reedy. Dealt with a bunch of injuries during his time at A&M. He was a semifinalist. Uh, you know, you mentioned Monday. He was a semifinalist. Charlie Broom, also a semifinalist. He had an excellent grass court season. And by the way, shout out to the Baylor Bears who, you know, Connie Fronson, top 100 now in the world in doubles. Played one with Sven Law on that NCAA finals team. I mean, again, shows college doubles. Translates Mateus Soto, first challenger title this past week in doubles. Boyton reaches a challenger final in doubles as well. You notice who I was talking to this week? Did it give it away? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I have a question on Boyton. Is okay. he still being coached by Brian Boland? That's above my pay grade. Can I, I, I? The truth, I, th- I think he's still in Arkansas, but I'm not sure. I, I don't want to report that definitively. Um, but yeah, that was a big result. You mentioned Rodesh. I think Alex Naff made the final. I, I, he, he, I think yeah. he won the event. Yeah, right. He was Florida State. Former right? F- yeah, yeah, former FSU. So, cup of coffee there. Uh, you mentioned Rodinas in doubles. He semied in singles. Oliver Crawford finalist at that same event. Um, other than that, Jake Van Enberg, another buck I have forgot, but Oklahoma Sooner as well, quarterfinalist. That's when you're starting to stretch things on the men's side. That would, I would say, be my book of highlights for the men. Run me through the women. What do we have on that side, Jay? Well, for me, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on Yulia Starbatseva yes. from Old Dominion because I don't think we have spoken about her enough but you know she graduated last year from old dominion she reached number one in the country in doubles and she's now up to 260 in the world she won the sumter south carolina 60k the reason why i'm bringing her up this week is because she just made the uh evansville indiana 60k final where she uh, played the same opponent she beat in the Sumter 60k but she has had a phenomenal start to her pro career to be in the the top you know 300 in the world a year out and continuing to rise, I think that she has probably haven't spoken enough about her, particularly coming from a non-Power 5 program like Old Dominion. It's very impressive what she's done. I knew I was going to be on the road for six weeks, so I didn't go to Evansville. I was in Michigan and then Indianapolis for a little bit, but I should have because, yeah, I mean, she makes a final this week in Evansville. And, you know, again, Leahy, the former Pepperdine standout, knocked out by McCartney Kessler, who reaches the semifinals, the former Florida standout as a qualifier this week. Um, 
yeah, just across the board, it was a really fun event in Evansville. And, you know, that's an unforced error by me, folks. I apologize for not providing more on-site coverage because I just didn't look closely enough at the calendar. I believe startup saving Kessler lost in the doubles final, right, as well. Um, and so, yeah, heck of a weekend. By the way, back Davitella, the Tobacco Road duo, semifinalists at that Evansville event as well. Yeah, and the irony of them having to face NCAA champions Carson yeah. Tangillig and Fiona Crawley of UNC in the first round there. That's well, just half the fun. Wouldn't have it any other way. Um, any other headlines? Give it Give it to me. What else do you have? I got that was few. it for me. I'm a, I am finding myself to be a lot more discriminatory in who I select for these results than you are. So why don't you uh, give us some names? This is true. Ariane Hartono, semifinalist, 40K. Again, we've lowered the standards. She should do better than that. But I'm just saying, I see it. Um, Alexandra Vecic, quarterfinals at Roehampton, 25K. We didn't really see her last year. Yeah, so this is noteworthy, I think, not okay. because of the result, but because you actually have the Georgia Women's Tennis account uh, tweeting about it. Uh, she was ineligible to play for them last year. So for her to be able to come back and be eligible as a sophomore here, that's a great replacement for Leah Ma uh, up there at the top of the lineup. Yeah. All right. Last two for you, I believe. Um, yeah, last two. Here we go. Um we have the 25K in Darmstadt, Nicole Rivkin, quarterfinalist. I see you, Nicole Rivkin. Um, do we have one other? No, I think she was the only college result there. And then the 15K in Monastir, Sophia Biele, uh, Angela Okatoye into the quarterfinals there, uh, Sophia Rojas into the semifinals mm -hmm. as well. Those would be my honorable mentions in singles. Yeah, I think Rojas made the final. Lost uh, made the, the final. final. You're right. Not semifinal. She made the final. Uh, knocked out in straight sets in that match. But finals as a qualifier. It's a job well done. Deserves a shout out, Jay. Um, it's unfortunate that you are so anti-Oklahoma State that you refuse to give. So Chris Young, don't give him a press pass. That's how you respond. You say, oh, that's cute. You can come to NCAAs, but as a fan. Um, no. Give him a press pass. Don't be. First of all, Chris is. Do you think Chris listens to minute number 54 of the pod? No. He might. He might. Or or someone in his circle is like, hey. Yeah, someone they, in his circle. Yeah, hey, minute 54, check on it. And by the way, we're excited to be in, uh, next year at Oklahoma State. I've seen the Greenwood Tennis Center. It is gorgeous. Um, so it's going to be some fun tennis. Why do you think I'm excited to read about uh, everyone's thoughts about NCAAs this year? Yeah. Talk about what we can expect and hope for in 2024 at Oklahoma State. Absolutely. And speaking of expect, hope for, Jay, week ahead, what you got? Well, you mentioned the Atlanta 250. It's chock full of former college players. The one active player, Andres Martin of Georgia Tech, faces Chris Eubanks in a very fun first-round match of two Georgia Tech players. Um, but so many, so many guys there. I mean, Shelton's in action. The John Isner open. So JJ Wolf, a lot of guys there in Atlanta. Uh, similarly, the Dallas 60K on the women's side, there were 11 players in qualifying who played in the 2023 season alone. So tons of uh, current and former collegiate players. And then uh, one interesting note, the 100K in Portugal, I mentioned that Fung Grantian was there at the 40K last week. Uh, she was also at the 100K. She lost in the first round to Alina Corniva, the junior world number one and the French Open champion. 
But Chelsea Fontenelle of Arizona State actually made it through qualifying there, so she'll be playing in the main draw in Portugal. I love to hear it. And, yeah, I mean, it's a busy week. There's a lot of really fun events happening around the globe. I know I'm excited to be on the call. I think I have Yana Kaufman tomorrow on T2. So if you're awake in the morning, tune in. If you have YouTube TV or Samsung television, um, yeah, it's uh, – Look, it, it, there's a college players playing everywhere. It's it's impossible to track it all. We try our best to keep track here. That's why we started these summer editions of the deciding point. It was also because I knew if I didn't do it, Jay would do it on his podcast. And I try to, you know, again, steal him as much as I still can here on this show. But, yeah, the only other thing I'd note is I called it Josh Goffey Day here on the show because I'm rocking a Clemson hat and South Carolina shirt. And I was happy Jay laughed. And I've given you – my thoughts on democracy. I've given you my thoughts on Elon Musk. Here's one more for the road. Part of my thing is why we are where we are in societies. I think part of this was a byproduct of the pandemic, being in quarantine, but people have forgotten how to properly show affection for one another. And this is me remembering how to show affection for you, Jay. Thank you for calling it the John Isner Open. It was like a subtle joke that made me just think like, oh, he does listen to me when I talk. And so, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, Jay. Uh, final words here go to you. Well, those sorts of things have just seeped in over the years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad to hear it. Well, again, no ad, no problem. So many good conversations every week. Check out the pod. Jail's fingers will get working eventually as well. So I'm sure the blog will be up and running once more. Once I feel like NCAAs, right? Those notes coming out. Is that a pod or are you going to write about it? Well, we'll see what content they give me in these report these notes this is fair enough it also i suppose depends what's going on in the day job but again we'll be back next week to recap it all once again of course if you're looking for daily updates mini break podcast the place for you all of our content housed on the website crackrackets.com a shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible with that said for the fantastic john j parsons our super producer daniel westoff and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell our listeners hey great shot we will see you all next week thanks everyone